Welcome to Farscape Friday, episode 47. Today we'll be discussing episode 3 of season 3, Self-Inflicted Wounds, Shoulda, Woulda, Coulda. I'm Kay here with my co-host Taz. Hello. Let's get started. Welcome back. Here's a quick summary of Self-Inflicted Wounds Part 1. The crew is headed towards the perfect planet for Xan to heal in when Pilot shows John a wormhole that's appeared near the ship. John's excited until the ship flies out of the wormhole and rematerializes inside Moya. Both ships are thrown into the wormhole and things get out of hand as the crew deals with alien phobic aliens, Moya's inability to be inside wormholes, and a giant snake that's trying to eat them. This episode, we have a very action-oriented plot in this first of two parts that resolves one of the major plot threads from the season opener, namely Zan's sacrifice of her life's energy to bring Aaron back to life. At the same time, the episode brings back wormholes and the question that will drive one of the season's overarching arcs, and that is, what is wormhole knowledge worth and what will be sacrificed for it? That's a question that we see played out among the aliens researching wormholes in the ship that collides with Moya, and that we begin to see play out between John and the crew. Yeah, I think one of the interesting things that this episode did was it had the rest of the crew kind of seeing John not really as like an enemy, but they began to question his loyalty very, very early on, mostly over something that we haven't really seen in a while like wormholes Mm -hmm. have kind of been this thing that's like in the background but it's kind of been something scorpy wants like scorpy wants wormholes scorpy wants wormholes and then this whole episode was kind of like everybody was like well we can't trust john around wormholes and i don't know i think i felt i felt like maybe john needed to be a little bit more untrustworthy before i would have felt like that felt natural to me I, Mm -hmm. i don't know was that just me no I guess the previous time we've seen John be untrustworthy around wormholes was in Till the Blood Runs Clear, that season one episode, The Western, mm-hmm. where he's testing out solar flares combined with the Scafarscape maneuver. And there's this moment when Aaron's in the pod with him and he's like, let's go for the wormhole and like taking her with him with against her will. And I think that's maybe that's in the back of their heads or at the beginning no one else is really there to see it, but Pilot points out, hey, John, you might want to look. There's a wormhole there. And John's immediately like, okay, let's get some readings. Let's prep my module. Let's go out and check it out while, we have, while we're right here and doing it. We, the audience, definitely see that intensity about it. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure how much of, the, of that the others see right away. And maybe yeah. this is my memory of the episode, but I understand that like not trust of him just kind of on the previous previous episodes that they've dealt with the wormholes with. Yeah. I mean, I guess that if we're looking at it in the context of Blood Runs Clear, you're right. Because that was, we talked a lot about that in that episode, how that was not okay and that was taking it too far and how Aaron's increasing anger throughout that episode was very well deserved. I guess that I mostly feel like, like they're initially like, okay, well, we can't trust John anymore. And I'm like, but he hasn't really done anything that untrustworthy yet. Like, yeah, he Mm -hmm. trusts the scientists pretty quickly, like definitely a lot quicker than they deserve to be trust. But he does that with all the aliens they run into. 
Yeah, I mean, and ironically, I was going to mention that this this whole episode really felt a lot like season one, John, because it has him approaching these first contact aliens and being really open. And he's the one trying to talk everybody down from killing each other. You know, Mm -hmm. it, it felt very, very season one. And on the one hand, I like that because I like season one, John. But on the other hand, I'm kind of like, were the others seeing his lack of violence as like, oh, he's getting soft because of wormholes, <laughs> you know? And I'm like, I don't know. I mean, that's a little bit of a stretch for me. Yeah, it could be. It could be. That's one of those questions that I'm just, how much does it need to be for the plot from the writer's side versus how much are they showing? Yeah. Like, where's the show versus tell line? I don't know. Yeah. I mean, and no, no real spoilers, but... John does get more intense about wormholes. Like wormholes do become kind of this flashpoint for him as the series goes on. But I I don't know. I guess I felt like it was a little bit undeserved in this episode. Mm -hmm. Anyway. The other thing that I felt was a little deserved was, I don't know if this is, this is people in the show blaming him because I don't think it's as much as just my remembrance of the reaction to it. Like it's it's John's fault that they collided because they were in front of the wormhole, Mm -hmm. but he didn't have time to do anything. So it's like, no, it was just an accident that the two ships collided. They were just in the wrong place at the wrong time. Yeah. You know, he didn't make Moya be there for longer than she had to be. Yeah. I mean, and even, even when the ship was coming in, he was kind of like, get out of, where is it coming from? Where is it coming from? And then it's like inside Moya. And it's like, oh, that's where it's coming from. It's inside. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So, Let's actually kind of get to the meat of this episode because it's a very action heavy episode, but that means that we kind of have these really neat person to person conversations that occur within the episode. Mm -hmm. There were a lot of them because I'm going to assume that if you're listening to this, you have seen episode three and episode four. So this is not going to be a big shocker for you, but these two episodes really are the swan song for Zan. And I think that Rewatching it, knowing what comes, it definitely felt like the writers were trying to give themselves a lot of space to show us as viewers what Zan meant to the crew and how important she was to the crew and also giving her the chance to kind of be noble yeah. in her last, you know, in her last few hours. Virginia Hay does a really good job just kind of working with what she's given here and it really worked for me and going into these knowing what how it ends it felt even better this was not like something random happening like the character gets shot at the end of this episode and you're like oh so i guess they're dead you know this was definitely giving everybody a chance to say goodbye yeah and it's a really lovely because as you said it's action oriented but with space to breathe in between it, it reminded me a lot of the structure of family ties Oh where yeah. The plot is fairly simple but it's action oriented, but then there's all these little scenes for everyone to talk to each other. And it's not just Zan and other people, it's Aaron and Dargo. They you see their friendship again. You see John and Dargo talking to each other. You know, all these mm-hmm. all these other pairings and and combinations that you know, they they hit on what's recently happened with Dargo and Shiana's situation and their breakup and how he's feeling about it and dealing with it. You have dealing with the situation at hand. You have just different feelings coming up because Zan is going away or she's sick and they're dealing with her being sick on top of all this. And you also really see Zan showcased as Moya in Pilot's caretaker. Mm -hmm. 
Because yeah. in season two, she was given that responsibility by Kahanu, one of the builders of the Leviathans. And she takes that responsibility very seriously, given that right now, Moya has been basically fused with this other ship. So this other ship is a wormhole research ship, and it, it functions by being out of phase with normal reality. And so when it comes back into phase, it's it's fused like it's... It's like an arrow through through Moya. And so there's all these like white posts uh, that are stuck through her hull and everything, which is causing lots of problems. And as we find out of the course of the, of the episode, the collision knocked them out of normal space where Moya was and out of yeah. the center of the wormhole where the other ship was into the wall of the wormhole. I think John refers to it as golfing terms as the fairway or off the fairway and into the rough. So it's they're not even in a normal place right now. And the sensory overload is causing Moya and Pilot extreme distress. Like, Pilot is throwing up. He cannot handle the sensory input. It's like getting slammed with a migraine times like 50. And so Zan, you know, takes that situation of Moya and Pilot being in such distress really seriously. It's like our priority has to be taking care of them. Yeah, and I, I think that you definitely see that with Moya and Pilot kind of out for down for the count for essentially both of these episodes. They Pilot's there very briefly and then he essentially becomes unconscious quickly. And so yeah, you really do kind of have this Zan being the stand in for them and Zan having to take on that role, which then as Pilot and Moya both begin deteriorating incredibly rapidly then you kind of get this ongoing question of, so she's their caretaker, but at what cost to the others? At what cost to the essentially the living, the people who are alive and are fine? Mm -hmm. So, yeah, it's really good. Let's actually just jump in because you mentioned Dargo and Aaron. Mm -hmm. And I really enjoyed their their friendship in this episode. And I really enjoyed kind of seeing Aaron again as that very sympathetic person, as somebody who is you know, trying to be sympathetic to her comrade in arms. It reminded me a lot of taking the stone. Mm -hmm. So let's take a listen. Dargo and Aaron are moving, I guess, the Interon that died. Yes. The one that John now wants to bury on the planet they're taking Xan to. Yeah. And let's just take a listen. Why the hell don't we just jettison this thing into frowling space? Crichton. First he wants to question these creatures, then he wants to bury them. I mean, why don't we just open the last chamber and ask them where Earth is? And then he'll die in the first 30 microns like this one did. Well, death isn't always a bad thing, Aaron. Who wants to live when your place in the universe has been suspended? <laughs> Dorothy and Tiana are just kids, Dargo. I don't want to discuss it. <sighs> they were rebelling. They weren't trying rebelling? to... Rebelling? Rebelling is smoking some gala root. Rebelling is not sleeping with dust. Look, Dargo, if you want to talk. I'm not ready. Now that ship I'd like to jettison. What if there's some weapon aboard that we can use? What if the next system we set off destroys us all? We're already destroyed, Aaron. It's just that some of us don't know it yet. So Dargo has graduated from suicidal to just plain angry <laughs> at everything. 
He is still so upset mm-hmm. about Chiana and Jothi cheating on a, on him with each other and breaking up with Chiana and that whole situation. And he's mad at John about it. He's mad at the stupid and Tyrion about it. He's mad at the ship about it. Just everything's, you know, and the, like that last line that he says, like, we're all doomed. We just don't know it yet. And it's just like so fatalist, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I don't know. I, I, I mean, obviously, I love Aaron, but I just really like that her immediate reaction is kind of to click on to the fact that he's not talking about the Interons. He is talking about the fact that he's just mad. And she tries to kind of go to him and she's like, hey, if you ever want to talk. And his reaction is kind of like, I don't really want to talk, <laughs> you know, and, you know, which is fair, which is fair. Yeah. But it, it was really fascinating to me that Aaron was so sympathetic to Chi and Jothi mm-hmm. because these are, you know, she likes Chi. And I think that she and Chi, Chiana are, are actually very good friends, even if they wouldn't really, you know, necessarily call each other that yeah. <laughs> upon pain of death. But it, it was just interesting to me that Aaron kind of had the foresight to be like, this isn't necessarily about you, Dargo. This is just about them being kids. Right. And being in a tough situation and not knowing how to handle it as adults, but rather lashing out. Because that, as we talked about last episode and the one before that, Chiana was lashing out because she didn't feel like she could talk with Dargo. And yes, it was a terrible way to handle the situation. But she's young, right? You know, you need experience to know how to handle these things sometimes. I love seeing this between Aaron and Dargo because I feel like season two, we didn't get a whole lot of friendship moments between them. Whereas mm-hmm. we had this really lovely arc in season one. And I love coming back to that where... Once Aaron does cotton on to it, she's calm and Dargo recognizes it. He's calm when he says, no, I don't want to talk. I'm not ready yet. You know, and it's just, it's a really nice conversation. Yeah, I think it just does go back to this, like, like the two Aaron's that we see, you know, like the Aaron that is her very best self. And then the Aaron that is just like the normal person. And I feel like the Aaron, when she is her very best self, that's like the Aaron from, you know, taking the stone, that's the Aaron, you know, that like is just very calm and knows and know, and understands interpersonal relationships and friendship. And I think that, you know, this conversation with Dargo, it really feels to me like she's talking to one of her unit. Mm-hmm. You know, she's talking to somebody that she cares about. And and then I mean, not to say that Aaron is ever like as as hot headed as Dargo, but then there is like the Aaron when she's like pushed right to her limit, you know? Yeah. She's going to grab a pulse gun and go kill somebody and not, yeah, not exactly. talk about it. Yeah, well, it, it, I, <laughs> I like that you bring up the peacekeeper unit aspect of it because I know this is something we've mentioned before, but, you know, Aaron has a hard time understanding herself and her own emotions, but interpersonal relationships of a group, she's actually quite astute at and knowing yeah. what's going on with other people. And for, you know, peacekeepers who are not supposed to care about anyone else, like they live in this kind of dichotomous world where actually they are quite social and they do understand other people quite well because they live with people all the time, you know? Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, I don't know. I just really enjoyed that interaction that they have. And I think that it becomes a through line for this entire, for this episode and a little bit in the next episode, but mostly this episode because she and Dargo do have like a couple more conversations where they're just able to be really honest with each other in a way that they can't necessarily be with anybody else right now. Mm -hmm. So after this, they crash and then the, um, 
you know, they crash and we have that whole thing where we talked about with, with pilot showing John and then John getting excited. And then the two ships are inside each other and, Oh no, what are we going to do? And, you know, everybody immediately splits to go and, you know, fix things and look at things. And it feels very teamy. Yeah. You know, it definitely does. And John and then Aaron have their weapons drawn on these aliens that are on command because that's where their command crashed. And they don't understand each other. So that's the first thing that John, which definitely felt like a season one John moment, where he realizes that, that these these two aliens that they see don't understand what they're saying. Mm-hmm. Even while Aaron's shouting at them to get on the ground, drop whatever, you know, trying to take control of the situation. Let's talk about the aliens a little bit. They get them some translator microbes, or at least for the leader, whose name is Pathfinder Niala. Pathfinder is her title. I don't believe, this is a little pet peeve of mine, I'm going to go on a little rant. I don't believe that the Pathfinders are the people, because it seems like whenever it's uh, she's addressed, it's always as a title. Mm-hmm. I know in fanfic all over the place, they're always called the Pathfinders. People, please stop doing that. It bugs me. <laughs> <laughs> No valid. Yeah, it seems like it is a title. You yeah. Know? Anyway, that aside, little rant, sorry. So we find out a little bit. And one of my favorite little lines is, so Niala is explaining kind of what their generator does. They're studying wormholes. It's the Vaz-Tillin generator. They do it, da 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 And it's like all these words in a row. And Aaron asks John, did you understand those words? And he's like, yeah, individually. I have no idea what they mean in order. <laughs> but he says it even better. He's like, um... It's so great because he's like, he's like, yeah, I've watched Star Trek. <laughs> oh, right. Yeah. So, oh, my gosh. So, it's so good. Yeah. So we've got some complicated science going on. But having watched these episodes again, and when I was pulling quotes, kind of getting a third watch out of it or a second watch out of it, you know, it, it kind of does make an internal sense. So they fly through and they're researching wormholes and they're out of phase. I'm not quite sure why they're out of phase, but they are. And... We find out that the wormholes are a network of wormholes. So so you go through a loop and it's kind of like a donut that has all these split off wormholes that go to different places. Mm-hmm. And so while the people, I'm just going to skip ahead a little bit. Um, we can go back. But while Dargo and Stark and Shiana are dealing with Pilot who is throwing up and in his neural nexus pulling off his connections so that he from the sensors so that he won't be overwhelmed, John ends up going out in the module and he takes Rigel along to actually go fly through the wormhole network to try and to locate where they are because mm-hmm. the Pathfinder Niala needs to know where they are before she can figure out how to help them get out of it. And so, mm-hmm. so John goes in the wormhole, and it's this like you see the 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 beautiful. I love the beautiful wormhole CGI. It's one of my favorites of the show. And they're flying through and taking pictures as they go with a gizmo. And Rigel, of course, wants to bail. He's like, "Can we go anywhere? Let's go." Because Moya's hurt. He wants to jump ship. And you kind of get this Zen moment with John, where they're going through this bumpy bumpy ride through the wormhole and then suddenly it smooths out and he's like this is the holy grail and i think that's where you really start to see even more so like where the the connection with the wormholes is really getting to john like this is he's starting to come together for him in this scene where Mm -hmm. he's he feels like he's finally getting a handle on wormholes and how to navigate them and how to fly through them still learning but there's there's something connecting in his head there yeah, it kind of feels like, especially in contrast, when he's talking with the other 
with the scientists, like his understanding of wormholes is very visceral. It's like internalized, which makes sense because the ancients put the knowledge in his head. So for him, it just kind of feels like this this thing he knows. Whereas with the Pathfinder and her crew, it's all very like scientific-y and kind of like, well, this is like a science experiment that we're doing. Mm-hmm. And I want to... <laughs> I want to go back because for the past few episodes, Rigel has actually been kind of on point, you know, and Rigel has been really helpful. And, you know, he was he didn't lose his cool at all in the space station disaster last episode. And here he goes. He really reverts back to like the Rigel of old, Mm -hmm. like the Rigel of season one, because he essentially when John is like, no, we've, we have to go back for everybody. And Rigel's like, well, screw this. And he actually pulls them out of the wormhole. And then John has to like break his nose to get him to. <laughs> yeah. Slams his elbow in his face multiple times. And it's, you know, Rigel gets hurt pretty badly by it. And Zan has to patch him up afterwards. Yeah. But, you know, it doesn't surprise me that Rigel would revert back to type because, you know, people change slowly. And yes, he's changed over the course of seasons one and two into being much more of a team player for the ship. And he actually does have a mini arc of that nature in this episode and these pair of episodes as well. Mm-hmm. But, you know, people change slowly and it's hard, especially when you're in a really difficult situation. And Moya, as far as they know, is in really bad shape. Like she's starting to decompress everywhere. Air is being sucked out of the outer tiers. You know, circuits are blowing everywhere. Pilot is essentially out of control because he's unconscious. It's it's a mm-hmm. bad situation. Like, it really is bad for Moya. And so, yeah, I think it makes sense that Rigel would be like, okay, let's bail again. Yeah, let's actually play a clip when they get back and, and Zan is in the middle of fixing Rigel's nose. Because, yeah, I want to listen to the beginning of that mini arc that Rigel goes through this episode. Do you hope someday to be Domino, Rigel? I am still Dominar, always Dominar. I mean ruling from a throne instead of a throne sled. They'll never know if I kill Crichton. But you will. (sighs) Fool the others if you like, but I see the larger goodness in a small Hynerian. Separating this alien ship from Moya must be your first priority, Rigel. Have I ever told you that I appreciate your counsel? Continuously by accepting it. Ah, and that's one of the parts I was talking about, where the, these two episodes really do give a lot of closure to all these relationships that Zan has formed. Because here's Rigel who really does want to kill John. And I'm going to talk about the fact that essentially he does try and kill John in a few (laughs) minutes. Yeah. But he and Zan are having this conversation that calls back to season one and season two, where she really was his counsel. She was the only one at that point that was his friend. And it just feels very normal because Rigel is not unaware that Zan is dying. Mm -hmm. And I don't know, it just feels very sensitive between the two of them. Yeah, and the fact that Zan has always, you know, she has manipulated him might be a little bit too negative a connotation of the word, but she's called to his better nature many times in the past to get him to play ball and be a team player and help them out by reminding him, hey, you're a Hynerian, you have power, you should 
act the way that you would be as a benevolent ruler kind of mm-hmm. kind of thing so so this this is another call to his better nature of being hey be more than than what you are right now which was a former prisoner you know be a hynarian mm-hmm. be all the nobility that that title of the dominar the office of dominar that it it gives you so mm-hmm. yeah it's really nice it's really in keeping with with them and i like that rigel acknowledges that yeah like i don't always admit it but i kind of like it that you like me and are <laughs> willing to give me advice throughout these this time that we've known each other mm-hmm. well and also the fact that he listens to her advice because mm-hmm. this is this is Rigel. Rigel thinks that he's right 100% of the time about <laughs> all things, you know? Well, he and is, he's... obviously. <laughs> yeah, obviously. Oh, Rigel, love you, buddy. But so the fact that he does listen to Zan, that her counsel is the one that he does listen to, and that he doesn't just kind of roll his eyes and be like, no one's listening to me, but, you know, like, he, he listens to her. Mm-hmm. I don't know. It just, it speaks to the respect he has for her. Even yeah. if he would never admit it, you know? Yeah, definitely. So <laughs> the way that Rigel tries to kill John, because he goes from this conversation and then John does something. I can't remember what, but essentially Rigel gets really angry at him again. <laughs> well, I mean, it still goes back to the, his whole punching him in the nose till he's bleeding. And yeah. And unconscious. We have to go back a little bit first. Because yeah. when Moya is first having problems with the with the crash and the crew is all scattered, one of the places Rigel goes to check out is the maintenance bay where the last of the Interion cryo caskets is located. And because he doesn't know how it works, he thinks it's broken and tries to fix it. But by fixing it, he opens it because it's self-venting, but he thought it was broken and venting. Anyway, long story short, the casket opens and we meet a new character. And I'm just going to play that scene. Who are you? My name is John. Listen, we don't have much time. Correct. Yours is up. Get! Don't touch me! You know me? My race? Sebastian. Intellectually suited to carry weapons and die marching in formation. Human. Your species and mine might be related. <laughs> of course they are. I have a brother who's a Stenerian lizard. Have you ever heard of Earth? On Trinticomata, the Predorian fly transmits a fatal rheumatoid disease called Arth. Oh, very similar. Oh, the animal speaks. <laughs> What's your name? Jalushko Tunai Fenta Havalis. <laughs> what do they call you for short? My whole name. Listen, Jewel, what's the last thing you remember? How long have I been in this chamber? Manifest says 22 cycles. So that's Jewel, as she will be called, because her long name is way too long for everybody. And as you can hear from her tone and from her, the way she speaks to both Rigel and John, she feels like she is smarter than everybody in the room. And she's really upset by this whole situation she's found herself in. And one of the things she's also extremely upset by is the fact that her two cousins, whom she was traveling with, are now dead. As you heard at the end there, that was her scream, which is like piercing, 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 and melts metal. 
she basically is freaking out from one side of this episode into next episode. And on the one hand, it's really annoying because they're dealing with this crisis and she's just getting in everybody's way. And on the other hand, though, I'm kind of sympathetic to her because that's a really crappy way to wake up. (laughs) (laughs) I'd be freaking out, too. Yeah. Yeah. I guess, okay, here's here's my my super guilty admission. I was really hoping on rewatch that she was not as irritating as I remembered her being. <laughs> like, I was really hoping that I had kind of your reaction of like, oh, you know, let's be sympathetic because, you know, this is kind of crappy to wake up and like everybody you know is dead or like, all your cousins are dead that you were traveling with and it's been 22 years and blah, blah, blah. I was like, I was really looking forward to kind of like, maybe she's not as bad as I remember. She's worse. <laughs> oh my God, is Jewel irritating. She's spoiled and entitled. And I think that's really what rubs you wrong, rubs me wrong, rubs everybody wrong when they see her and meet her for the first time. Is She is just so obnoxious about everything. And yeah, I'm a little bit sympathetic to her situation, but at the same time, there's a little bit of, there's a really serious situation that's not about you going down, and you need to shut up and deal with it. <laughs> well, like, I mean, no spoilers, but I honest to God do not understand why they don't just dump her on the first planet they see, because she's like, she meets Chiana, and she immediately calls her like a street whore. Like, with zero evidence that mm-hmm. she actually knows anything about Chiana. Because the thing is, is like Chiana, okay, like her outfit is skin tight, but so is Jules. Yeah. And Chiana literally like walks in and Jules is like, you street whore. And I'm like, <laughs> all right. Like, Judgy I understand much. that. It's, yeah. Like, what? And I don't know, just kind of the, the I'm smarter than everybody when she's not actually. And the I'm better than everybody when she's not actually. And... I don't know. I mean, I don't want to harp on it too much because she hangs around for like a really long time. (laughs) All right. I'm going to admit that Jewel definitely grew on me after through season three once we got to know her better. So I'm not completely against her. Yeah. But at this early stage, I kind of like that she's so annoying because I love the conflict that it brings. Like, Mm -hmm. I think that's why I kind of like her as a character is just because she adds this like It's like throwing a real child in amongst this chaos that's already there. And I love that conflict that she brings out. Yeah. I don't know. That's, I like conflict. (laughs) I don't know. Yeah. And like, I I think that maybe on review, I'm hoping that she grows on me because all I remember from my first time viewing, which again was like a really long time ago, because (laughs) it was when it was first airing, if that tells you anything. But I just remember kind of being like, oh my God, when will she go away? I hate her. She's so stupid. And I think that maybe it's having watched Jothy and not having been as irritated by Jothy this time around that Mm -hmm. I'm like, okay, hopefully she does grow on me. Yeah. I think though, uh, yeah, and I don't want to harp too much on Jewel, but I do think it is hilarious that essentially the ongoing joke throughout this whole, these whole two episodes is how irritating she is and how (laughs) everybody is irritated by her. (laughs) Yeah. Right when she wakes up, she asks about her cousins, and Rigel's about to tell her that, you know, they were used for parts to save John, and John slaps a hand over his mouth and stops him. But Well, and Chiana, come, Chiana, who's in the room, is like, both of them died really quickly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, um, so later, when Rigel is mad at John for hitting him and 
you know, all the other stuff. He tells Jewel and Jewel is furious and finds a gun and goes and tries to kill John for murdering her cousins, even though he didn't technically murder them the same way. Anyway, long story short is that she comes after him in the maintenance bay and he finally gets, he gets away from her and is actually saved by Dargo coming in and tonguing her. <laughs> so Jewel is neutralized Dargo is annoyed with John, and I'm actually going to play the end of that conversation because they're at their ship. Dargo is around there looking at this new ship that he's found, which is another subplot that is launched by this episode, and I'm just going to play it. Now, John, we're trapped in this barn of a wormhole. Pilot's unconscious, Moyer is dying, and my son has slept with my betrothed. Lock this woman up. <laughs> oh, I, I just it. love that because Dargo just puts everything into context with him right in the center of it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which can't blame the guy because that is exactly the only thing that he is really thinking about. But I don't know. It's just it's just a great little moment where it's just like, you deal with her. <laughs> I know. I love it. Well, I love it's kind of like Dargo's like, okay, we're we're really we're up Shit's Creek. <laughs> And by the way, Chiana slept with Jothy. In like, case you missed that. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. Lock her up. And it makes sense because essentially Jewel has been wandering around the ship at this point at Crichton's discretion. Yeah. Like, Crichton is the one that didn't immediately tie her up and put her back in the cryo chamber. Right. And he feels guilty about it. Like he feels super guilty that he used the cerebral fluid from her one cousin during the the operation and that the other one died because he was sick and he came out and basically lived for 30 seconds. So yeah, there's there's guilt going on with John and how he treats Jewel at the beginning of this. Yeah, but it is so Dargo. So <laughs> we're going to briefly mention it because it comes much more into play next episode. But Dargo brought this ship on board in Sons and Lovers, but they haven't been able to figure out how to get in it because it has a force field around it. So when Jewel shoots the ship, Dargo realizes that there's like this one area of the force field that's weak. And when he touches it, he's able to get inside. And in this episode, it's kind of pushed to the side because there's like Moya is falling apart. Pilot's unconscious. They're trying to figure out how to get the two ships apart. And it becomes more important next episode. So I'm just going to drop it here and leave it. Okay. That sounds that sounds good. Yeah, the mysterious ship. We, remember, I just remember first watching these episodes and wondering, why the hell do they have another ship on board? Yeah. Yeah. It, seemed, it felt so random at first. Yeah. Well, and I guess that now that, now that we don't have Aaron's Prowler anymore, they do need mm. like a second ship. Do yeah. you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, okay, actually, that brings up something I want to talk about. So that's so funny because like essentially Dargo's <laughs> ship replaces Aaron's ship as like the other ship that they have that's not a module or that's not a, uh, that's not a pod. Transport pod. Yeah, that's not a transport pod. But okay, so Jewel has be essentially being brought on right as Zan is leaving, which is a pretty common trope in TV. And a lot of times they, you know, in like Star Trek shows, for example, you know, a character will leave and be replaced by somebody of the same rank or, you know, in Deep Space Nine where they replaced Jadzia's Dax with like a different Dax and I will never forget them ever. <laughs> Fair. Um, but like, Usually there's two ways that shows go on this, which is one that they replace the character with 
a character that is very similar, if not exactly the same. Like in Charmed, they replaced one of the sisters with another sister who was very similar. Who mysteriously they didn't know about. Yeah, Sorry, right. that one really bothered me. <laughs> Did you watch Charmed? I didn't even I know watched that. it when I lived in France and one of my best friends was obsessed with it. So I've, I've watched it in French. French <laughs> Then there's the other camp, which is the MASH, MASH school of replacing characters, which is where they kind of take a role that needs to be filled and they fill it with a character that's entirely different. Mm-hmm. You know, so they replaced their commanding officer with like, you know, from the guy that was kind of lazy and kind of into golf. and Henry really Blake. Yeah, Henry Blake. And then they replaced him with Colonel Potter, who was like really by the book, really upstanding, a cowboy. And he was just in general a good guy. And both of them were like nice characters, but you they were so different in terms of their command mm-hmm. style. And also you have Frank Burns and, and replaced by Winchester, who was like the yeah. antithesis of it, but still a rival for Hawkeye. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, because, you know, in in both of those cases, the characters still played kind of the straight man or the, you know, the one that was occasionally the butt of the jokes. But whereas Frank was always the butt of the jokes and could never really hold his own, Winchester did like a really good job of like... <laughs> I love Winchester. Oh, he's my Anyway. <laughs> okay. Tangent. Yeah. But so to get back to Farscape, you have replacing Zan, who is like this peaceful character who has struggled with her peace, but is essentially like, you know, the, the mystical healing person of the group. And you're replacing her with this irritating scientist who is irritating. (laughs) It really changes the dynamic, doesn't it? This is why I kind of like it. So anyway, I just wanted to mention that. And I realized that also, yeah, we're replacing like the peacekeeper ship with like the mystical Dargo ship. So (laughs) (laughs) there you go. Replacements all around, right? So where are we in the plot? I forget. So I I know, like, listeners, I'm really sorry. I know we've been skipping around, but, like, the plot is fairly simple. I'm just going to – let's just run through the actual plot of the episode. Okay. And then we can get back to the stuff we like, which is the interpersonal (laughs) stuff. Okay. Sounds fair. So the two ships crash. They give Niala, the lead scientist, translator microbes. She tells them, okay, maybe if you starburst and we phase at the same time, we'll, we'll be able to get apart. They try that. Pilot gets unconscious. It doesn't work. It's very bad. And then they spend the rest of the episode trying to keep Moya afloat because yeah. Moya just is continuing to deteriorate. John goes out in the wormhole and takes lots of pictures of mm-hmm. the, the what's at the end of the other wormholes. And there's something going on with Niala's crew. Like, we don't yes. fully understand it this episode, but there's this mysterious moment where she's talking to one of them. And what basically happens between them is we have to make sure that our families survive. And we can't lose this research because otherwise the lives of our families are forfeit. So this is one of those costs of the wormhole that's discussed amongst the the alien crew where it's like this wormhole research is so important to their society that they want to make sure that none of the people on the research team run off with it and that they come back to their society for it. And they are holding their families hostage. And if they don't come back, their families are going to be killed. So it's this really tense situation because how do you choose, you know, that's what the wormhole information is worth to the society. That's what it ultimately is worth to Niala and her crew Mm-hmm. That they will sacrifice everything and make sure that they come back with the wormhole information. That is how it plays out amongst them. 
And so that's one of the questions that comes up later on. As Moya's systems keep failing, like all these conduits keep burning and like Chiana fixes one and, and then suddenly it's broken again. Decompression keeps happening all the, mm-hmm. all over the ship and they can't stop it. They can't keep up with it. And so it's like, okay, are we going to leave Moya, who is dying and breaking and having all these troubles, and everybody goes onto Niala's ship, and when they split apart, they will survive on Niala's ship, and Moya will be destroyed, Moya and Pilot. Or do they all stay on Moya, and and when they when then the ship that has all the wormhole information, that one gets destroyed because when they separate, Niala thinks only one ship will survive because yeah. they are in that. They're in the wall of the wormhole. One will get ejected into normal space and vaporized because the transition is awful. And the other will be pushed into the wormhole where they can safely exit. Yeah. That's where John's sensibilities about wormholes, I think, starts to come out as a point of tension with the crew because Mm -hmm. he thinks that the wormhole knowledge is very important, though he doesn't quite want to admit it that he's willing to sacrifice Moya for it. Yeah. And he actually ends up having a conversation with Harvey about that. And listen here for a couple of things. You want to listen to John's logic about the wormholes and which ship they're going to save. But you also want to listen to the new role that Harvey is playing with John. And to set it up, they are inside John's head, uh, sitting on a car that is playing pictures that they took, that John took from the wormholes that he flew through. And so it's basically a drive-in movie setup. Niala thinks it's possible we can separate the ships. But only one will survive. We have to pick which one. Yes, it's a shame about Moya. She'll be fondly remembered. It's not a done deal. Did you call me here to talk you out of your guilt? No. It's just the information amassed inside their ship. No contest. I sit here inside your feeble brain, listen to the arguments bounce off the hollow spaces. How could you not use science above a beast of burden? You disgust me, John. I long for the dumpster. And the dumpster is sitting in the background of this scene that they're in inside John's head. Yeah. And so you can kind of hear there that the new role that Harvey is playing is is half confidant, half bouncing the ideas off of the only inside of your brain. Like Harvey essentially says, you know, I sit here and when you're not talking to me, all I hear are your thoughts bouncing around your brain. So it kind of falls to Harvey to not really be John's conscience, but almost the inverse of his conscience. Harvey is now the little devil that's sitting on John's shoulder that's willing to tell him the dark truths that he's thinking. That he doesn't want to admit. Because he doesn't mm-hmm. want to admit that he kind of wants to abandon Moya in favor of the wormhole t- of technology and research that's been done by Diala and her crew. Mm-hmm. Which is, you know, it's... You, you don't want it to be true. You want to think better of yourself, like you are going mm-hmm. to save your friends above all else. And yet there's this little bit of him that really wants to know about wormholes and go home. Mm-hmm. And like, I understand that dichotomy that's going on there, that conflict that's going on inside John's head. Yeah. Well, and also Harvey's like, okay, it's a pity about Moya, you know, but he's like, she's a beast of burden, blah, blah, blah. But also she's falling apart, you know? A few minutes after this, they all kind of are meeting in the hallway. And like we said, Chiana had just fixed 
or she just checked one of the conduits and been like, okay, it's fine. Great. And she's about to close it up and it blows out. And then she's like, and I checked all of the other ones along this passageway and they're all blown out. And so it's kind of when they realize that everything is falling apart Mm -hmm. is when even Aaron, who is pilot and Moya's, you know, second staunchest supporter after Zan is kind of like, all right, we have to give up then. Yeah, because they they're trying to fix her and they can't. They just mm-hmm. cannot because because it just keeps all falling apart. Yeah, Aaron is kind of coming at it of the perspective of okay, well, if Pilot and Moya are dead, we all need to survive. Whereas John is kind of coming at it from the angle of the wormhole knowledge must survive, mm-hmm. which is interesting because. Clearly, the Pathfinder and her crew are not going to share their wormhole knowledge with John because they are completely xenophobic, you know? Yeah, but, you know, John and his silver tongue, he thinks he can convince them or something. I don't know. I guess it's the idea of destroying knowledge is also playing into it. You know, the potential Mm -hmm. is, is lost. Yeah. So we have a couple other things that happen this episode, and one of them is Zan and Stark. So the first scene we have of Zan and Stark this episode is Zan is looking at the sores on her head and Stark is literally behind the wall watching her like a giant creeper. And I think that this is the beginning of creeper Stark, which is different from crazy Stark and kind of sane Stark. Well, there's definitely a creeper scene with Aaron. Yeah, there's a creeper scene where like in this episode, Aaron needs to like open... She needs to open a door or something like that. And so she's pressing the buttons with that, like, pilot, because she, you know, has pilot DNA. And Stark is, like, literally, like, up in her space. And he's, like, and he's, like, you're really pretty. (laughs) And she, like, goes completely still like you do when you're around a wild animal. And she's, like, yeah, but I'm not Zan, am I? Yeah. I don't, I feel like with Zan, that moment is less, less being creeper and more of like, she's having this private moment and he's waiting before walking in. Mm -hmm. And so, yes, he is spying on her, but it's, you know, he's not intruding on her privacy at that moment. Okay. I'll go with you there. It's hard to tell. (laughs) (laughs) It is. It's kind of like, mm, you know, like it could go either way because he ends up, like I said, he has that super creepy moment with Aaron later, and we'll talk about the next episode, but Zan and he really do have a lot of sensitive moments these past two episodes. At the beginning of this episode, he kind of talks to her about, like, you can't die because apparently every time he helps someone cross over, he takes part of their soul into him, and that means that he also has this building darkness in him. Yeah, from so many people who who are not good people who he helped die. Yeah. And so he kind of sees Zan as like his way out. He sees Zan as like his escape hatch from all that darkness. Yeah. They have a really nice moment with Pilot as after Pilot is unconscious and Zan is Zan is trying to help him and take his pain and whatnot. You can see the tenderness they have for each other and kind of the fear of the unknown of what's happening with Zan. Hello, Pilot. Soon you must deploy the docking web. To rescue Crichton and Rigel. You are masterful with him. I am but a servant. This you will learn. I could never replace you. Stark, you must. For me, you must remain here and minister these souls. I'm relying on it. But I love you. If I did not feel the same and more, could I ask this sacrifice of you? 
they both are saying, I love you and I love you back, but I need you to do this thing for me where you take care of Moya's crew. And basically, mm-hmm. she is asking Stark to step into her role as the, the spiritual healer, guru person for the crew. And I feel like Zan sees a very different Stark than the rest of the crew and then us also. Because as mm-hmm. we said, he, he can be quite creepy sometimes and he's not always stable. But, you know, kind of like Rigel, Zan sees the inner core of Stark and finds it beautiful and loves him for it and thinks that he can be good for the crew and probably that the crew can be good for Stark in return, you know, the way it's been good for her in return. So I can understand her wanting him to to fill that role, even though he definitely feels inadequate for it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a good way of putting it. And I think you're right about, there's something about their love for each other. It feels very wholesome almost. Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Because it's, it's both of them coming from a place of spirituality where they've both seen each other's souls and they're still there for each other. I don't yeah. know. And so Stark is actually taking Zan's death really hard because essentially everybody is always like, oh, no, Zan, as soon as we get out of here, plan it and you're going to be fine, you know? Yeah. And Stark is the one that's like, you are getting out of here. You are going to be buried in the ground. You are going to be fine. And Zan is the only one that's kind of like, Guys, like, I know I'm dying. Yeah, yeah, he is not handling it well. Yeah. yeah. They kind of have a couple more scenes next episode also, and, and it just, it's really sweet and tender, I think, mm-hmm. is the way I would put it. Yeah, I mean, I don't know about you, but, like, whenever I see Zan's care for Stark, it makes me like Stark better, even yes. though I don't always like Stark. Yeah, exactly. That's a good way of putting it, because that's exactly how I feel, where I'm like, it is the it is the A likes B, so of course, and I love A, so I'll <laughs> like B also. Do you know yeah. what I mean? Yeah, you're trusting her judgment on him. Yeah, which is important, because like we said, so if Jewel is taking over essentially the medical side of, of Zan's stuff, then Stark is the spirituality, you know, on and off. Mm-hmm. So... The episode ends with John looking again at all the pictures from him going through the wormholes. And I just want to point out that Farscape got a little <laughs> cheaty on this one because essentially all they did was they took stills from like every episode that they've <laughs> had so far and just like put them all together. You, you'll recognize all the scenes. <laughs> yeah. And my question was like, how are they getting high resolution of specific planets? Like... And is it not even like, oh, this is the planet, you know, which would make sense to me. It was literally like, this people is people on the, on the planet. <laughs> and not even from an, like, not even from like an airborne perspective. It was like literally from the camera perspective, which is like at eye level. I'm like, that doesn't make sense, but okay. Well, you know, hand wave, let them have it. <laughs> they didn't yeah. have to create new images for this. And the one thing that we haven't talked about at all is the giant wormhole worm, the snake mm. thing. That Xan yeah. first sees as an omen and turns out to be real. And Aaron and Dargo are having a conversation early on in the episode in the neural cluster where Dargo is tearing out Pilot's sensors connections, his connections to the sensors. I actually have a really sweet conversation where, you know, Dargo says, I, I kind of want to forgive Chiana. And, and Aaron's like, well, why don't you? And... And then Aaron also talks about how she's worried about John and his obsession with wormholes. And then the snake thing comes and kind of interrupts their conversation. And it turns out it's a thing that lives in wormholes that Niala and her crew <laughs> haven't told them about. And apparently chomped the arm of one of her people and killed 
one of her people. Chop the leg. Leg, yeah. yeah. So so the, in addition to all the problems they're having with Moya and which ship to pick, they have this giant space snake worm thing <laughs> chasing them and periodically causing trouble. And that's what happens at the end of the episode is John is looking through and he sees uh, the Three Stooges, the television transmission of the Three Stooges in one of the wormhole pictures. And he's like, aha, Earth, and having this moment. And then the giant snake thing comes and he has to jump and he's left literally clinging by his fingers in Pilot's Den over the big drop in Pilot's Den as a cliffhanger. Ha ha. <laughs> I love how all their cliffhangers are John screaming. Yeah, pretty much. And so we leave the end of this episode not knowing what's going on with the giant snake, knowing that there's potentially Earth out there through through one of these wormholes, with Niala and her crew ominously saying that they're going to do whatever it takes to save their ship, and Moya dying around them. Moya dying. And the crew basically saying we're abandoning her, um, one of the earlier scenes, and going to try and separate and go on the Alice ship. Yep. So kind of a dark ending. Yeah. Well, cliffhanger. Yeah. The other thing I want to mention real quick is at the very end of this episode, right before the whole thing with John, Niala ends up having a weird conversation with Aaron, where essentially Niala is like, have you ever been responsible for another's death? And Aaron, of course, has. And so she was like, yes, I have. But you can tell that those deaths are now weighing on Aaron. And Niala also is like, well, this is the first time for me. And as a viewer, you know that she's kind of also talking about Moya and also about her crew. But it is just kind of an interesting conversation because this is the sensitive Aaron where this Aaron isn't blowing off Niala, but she actually is treating her conversation as real, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And you're also, I think, not fully cognizant yet of the full extent of Niala's responsibility for others' deaths. Yeah. That comes out in the next episode. So what would you give this episode? I give it a four. I like it. I like the character stuff that you get to see within this action plot. And I actually like the action plot. I think it's it's not super... I mean, it's pretty straightforward, but it's there's still some complexity to it. There's still mystery to it. Um, mm-hmm. you're left at the end of it wanting to know what the heck is going on and we get a good resolution next episode. So yeah, I, I give it a, a, on a four. I would also, yeah, 3.54. I, I like this one and I like the next one. And I think that all together, I give them like a four, like when you put them together. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But this actually does what, what I think Farscape does best with his, which is action interspersed with like really good character stuff. Yeah. You know? I think yeah. you're, you're calling out family ties was really apt you know yeah on wardrobe watch the only thing i could think of is rigel's does rigel have a new outfit that has like that red collar yeah okay i think that's relatively new i don't know if i noticed it last episode or not but otherwise folks are pretty much in what they've been wearing erin is wearing now a black tank top um, that's got more coverage than her vest get up that she Uh was wearing in season two and her hair is now really slicked back and then ponytailed and then braided so mm-hmm. that's a little bit of different hair for her. And then Zan, as we've noted, is wearing a scarf over her head to cover up her sores on her head. Yeah. And also I want to point out that Jewel, who again <laughs> calls out Chiana for being a street whore, and she doesn't even use like street trollop. She's literally just like street whore, <laughs> um, is wearing a black bustier, really, really short skirt, 
and like knee high boots. And I'm kind of like, all right, sure. Yeah. Yeah. So they're not they're not subtle on the sex appeal of Jewel at all. Which is weird because I don't think Jewel is very sexy. No. Well, it's all in the eye of the beholder, right? They're trying. They're trying. The actress who plays Jewel is Tammy McIntosh. And if you watch Miss Fisher's Murder Mysteries, she plays Mac. I remember when I was watching Miss Fisher for the first time, I was like, who is that? Who is that? It's like, Jewel. So it was exciting. I love Miss Fisher's Murder Mysteries. So good. Yeah. Yeah. So so Tammy McIntosh, she's excellent. I really do like like the actress a lot and ultimately like what happens with Jewel because, as I said, I kind of like the conflict and the new new interpersonal (laughs) dynamics that she brings to the table yeah that's true that's true because it would get a little tired if the only conflict we continued to have was like chiana steals stuff rigel's kind of a jerk (laughs) you know yeah chiana and dargo still have their weird thing going on okay and the other thing about i i I almost point i want to point this out real quick so we played that clip at the beginning where aaron is essentially like chiana and jothy are just kids and i'm kind of like that really makes Chiana and Dargo's relationship again kind of a little bit like what is the age difference between these three characters and we don't Mm -hmm. have to get into that I just want to point out that it is kind of if Aaron is seeing Chiana as more of a child than an adult I don't know yeah good point good point so if you're out there you can send us your thoughts on the age gap difference we are farscape friday podcast at gmail.com also at tumblr and at dreamwith and we are farscape friday on twitter yeah hit us up all right we'll talk to you next week bye bye